what does becoming a record breaker require? How do we go further than anyone has gone before and leave a legacy of mastery? How do we push the limits of what's possible and elevate craft to the level of art? Bulgari's new podcast, Be Maestro, is answering these questions with a series of exclusive interviews. Together, we'll uncover the unique paths that extraordinary individuals forged when achieving the seemingly impossible. Each guest is a master in their field who has made a mark on time. Be Maestro, a Bulgari podcast inspired by the record-breaking spirit of the Octo Finissimo Watch Collection. Time stands still. You're listening to the Be Maestro podcast. Refik Anadol is an artist and researcher at the Media Design Arts Center at UCLA, Los Angeles. Immersive, hypnotic, often monumental, his digital works explore the world of data and quantum poetry, creations that combine plastic beauty and artificial intelligence, creations that also draw a new territory, a new country, a new memory, the world of Refik Anadol. I'm Refik Anadol. I'm a media artist and director working and living in Los Angeles. I've been origin from Turkey, Istanbul, and almost 10 years ago, moved to Los Angeles to start a new journey as a media artist. Buongiorno, Refik. You were born in Turkey and now you live and work in Los Angeles. What is your life course? Being in Istanbul is incredibly inspiring in a city where the West and East connects, where the left and right, black and white, contemporary and modern, like truly the city itself was sometimes past now and future. And then later on in my journey, I guess I found myself much more connected to like the future, the near future experience. And I think Los Angeles right now for me is kind of remembering the future moment because you are in the West Coast, in the California, but also closing to like to the tech giants where the technology every single day reinvented uh, in Silicon Valley, but also where the cinema, where the Hollywood, where the arts also created. I don't know, the La La Land world, I guess, like where in the imagination <laughs> borns every day. And also, also teaching, very important for me. So literally, the city itself is, I think, holding the dreams and the memories right now. When you were a teenager, you had a passion for sci-fi. How did that influence your career as an artist? My encounter with a computer when I was eight years old was a kind of a breakthrough in my mind because I think before science fiction, what truly inspired me is the idea of a computation like the idea of using a machine and just not only playing a game, but imagining that there may be a space in the mind of a machine. Meaning I never felt that computer means just a screen or a keyboard or a mouse, like or a two-dimensional flat screen. I always felt that there is a world behind that screen. We could define you as a sculptor of digital data, couldn't we? Yes, I have been obsessed with data almost a decade. Actually, 2008, uh, when I really speculate the data painting, I guess, I, I coined the term most likely. I'm still researching, but 2008, I was an undergrad and uh, there was an incredible software called Pure Data. And the software was designed for complex and real-time sound uh, creation. But the instructor was incredible and he was saying, like, I don't think this is like a, just an instrument, but think that you can make invisible visible. And I remember this quote very well. And in that class, I felt that I could paint with the signals, the sensors around us, you know, imagining about that. And I think literally more than a decade, I'm creating algorithms and working with my team 
I'm not alone, by the way. And together, truly trying to make invisible visible. And data, by the way, is not only just imagine like a numbers. For me, data is a form of memory, and that memory can take any shapes and forms and colors. I think truly I am sculpting data and painting with a thinking brush. Doing better with less. This is what we try to understand in this podcast, and we have the feeling that you sometimes are doing the opposite by using billions of pieces of data to create your own world. Is that correct? Actually, it's sometimes yes and sometimes no. I think the very first thing is, of course, doing better with less is an incredible motto. But the world we are in right now requires an incredible amount of information to understand where we are going. Even though I'm a minimalist, I love minimal world of like imagination, but I found myself also like stuck in the millions of like data points and you know or hundreds of millions of like particles and molecules and trying to reconstruct some sort of you know pigmentation or something like that. But it's very interesting to say that at the very end of the experience, the hope is extremely actually less and try to reconnect the audience or the whoever the art lovers or the experience lovers, let them just connect with the piece emotionally and meditate. Your works have the power to fit into the urban landscape. Why does it work so well? First of all, urban space for me is one of the most incredible space to imagine. Urban means, or public art means, there is no floor, there is no ceiling, there is no door, and the time is just up to the audience, to the public. And it's free for everyone, it's open to everyone, it's just one of the most unbiased universe I think an art can survive. And I highly believe that in several centuries later, I'm pretty sure that the art will not be only in a museum or a gallery. Art will be in a metaverse, art will be in a virtual space, in our mind, in our like every single, I guess, space. But I think urban will always remain if our bodies and the physical world <laughs> is there. I think that urban is the most powerful canvas for any creator. Your relationship to time and memory is powerful. Why this obsession? When I think about data, first of all, again, the data for me is a form of a memory, and it's not just a bunch of numbers. And that memory, again, can be anything, right? Our heartbeat, our brain signals, um, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth signals, weather conditions, temperature, wind data, the car speed. I mean, anything I think in life has a potential to be a memory. But I think my obsession with memory is a personal memory, I think, is the world's most precious, most important data for everyone uniquely. And I feel like holding a memory or understanding a memory and respecting a memory is one of the most fundamental importance in the world of like machine intelligence. And most importantly, I guess, memories are the most critically important part of our life. Is this a very personal project? The obsession is not finding personal data, but finding what is the most common memory of humanity that just belongs to everyone without separation, such as nature, right? We all need nature to be survived. We all need, like, what is the future of humanity? Are we going to space? Or what is, like, life in urban space? And I'm tracing these memories of humanity. Like, for example, again, recently we did a project with Bulgaria, which was an incredible research about, like, the flowers. We look at, like, 70 million flowers in the world and reconstruct the machine's dream by letting AI dream every flowers in the world while we were watching it in an immersive environment and the real-time scent augmentation. I mean, this kind of reconstructing a memory through the machine's mind is an incredible serendipity, a whole different way of like pigmentation of life. And I think it's a huge potential for creativity. In one of your TED Talks, you actually ask a very interesting question. What could a machine do with someone's memories? 
And we have another question on the same level. What could a machine do with another machine's memories? <laughs> I mean, it's a very meta question, I know, but it's a very childish dream. I always want to, like, touch my memories. Always, like, you know, hug my dreams, <laughs> like, in a very fun way, in a, like, a really playful way. But the same question is, like, how can a memory, kind of, how can a machine can understand a human memory in a way that is just going beyond classical social media or, you know, like a current state of like memory context is not just what I'm imagining. It's just beyond <laughs> a bunch of simple algorithms trying to like predict who we are. But I'm truly like imagining this, you know, the, from the heartbeat to skin conductivity, like the brain activities. Like how can we reconstruct a memory that can be like used by a machine and what can it do with that? Again, without breaking the privacy and the free will. I think it's a very fundamental question. And I think it's answering this question will be extremely vital and urgent both creatively and ethically. In this podcast, we also try to understand what it takes to break a record, exceed limits. How did you manage to go beyond your own? I think it's my role, my responsibility to push this imagination to the edge. And if I push my edge, I find that questions and those breakthroughs, I guess. Like, for example, when I dream about, like, what is the world's largest data ever collected for an artwork that is, you know, independently an artwork, and of course, I found myself stuck in this, you know, hundreds of millions of, you know, data. Or uh, when I think about, can a machine have this, you know, capacity of collaboration? Can I work with a thinking brush? Or can I have a thinking brush that I can dip into the mind of a machine and paint with machine consciousness? This question sounds very heavy sci-fi, but it's not actually. Again, I'm grateful for my team. We are 14 people, can speak 14 languages, represent 10 countries. And there also the breakthrough happens in that, like, you know, multidimensional imagination through multiculture. So I think it is very doable. It takes a lot of time. I mean, I'm working 19 hours a day, I guess, <laughs> in general. But uh, it really gives you back once you push those limits to the edge. Memories are also about time. For you, is time a friend or a foe? Especially when you're in, on the edge of technology, the time is a very different concept. I mean, sometimes, of course, unplugging technology and going to the role of nature and enjoy the life that is primitive and doesn't have any, like, you know, rush versus, like, I think going this both spectrum in life is very powerful. I think if you can create our time from that perspective, it's very inspiring because it gives a perspective, right? Like when you're in the edge of, like, again, algorithms, like a training a data with AI, with millions of images, you have this, you know, suddenly like a one week, you are waiting in a machine to learn one week or you can plant a beautiful like you know seed on a soil and wait for it or you can go like to a meditation state for a one i mean these are incredible time concepts i know but i think for any creators who are using the brain power i think all of them are connected and especially for my audience the time is very different for example i know that i have a piece for example um that is maybe designed for half an hour but i know that people are staying sometimes like a five six hours so how on earth and half an hour experience that turn into like a six hours? I don't know. But it's very powerful to think that art can become a kind of a time that is beyond what the creator designed for. And I'm very touched by it. sometimes like people are, you know, messaging and sharing their notes all around the world with the art world saying, oh, I was watching AI Dreaming in a former church and I felt that I remember someone I lost and I stayed there for like eight hours. And that is very unique to me. I, to be honest, first of all, if it's not art, what is art? But that specific moment to me is a friend. Time is a friend, not an enemy. It's only enemy, I guess, it's not designed. It's not very well organized. Otherwise, time is a friend.
Let's imagine Bulgari asks you to create a new function for a watch. What would you do? Okay, one of the challenge to me in life is a time linear concept, Ryan, which is incredible. And I think that's what we need for our memories <laughs> because I think we are, while our mind is nonlinear, meaning we can go back in time, but I would like to make a memory watch, a watch that can truly connect with the best day of your life, with the worst day of your life. Like imagine this beautiful piece of meditation that is truly like reconstructing a reality that is not just on a like, you know, uh, classical mechanics, but it's the mechanics of consciousness, if it makes sense. And I don't know how to make it, <laughs> but I feel like it can be incredible. Would you like to work on that? Of course, that would be incredible. <laughs> uh, it will take some time, some decades, but <laughs> why not? <laughs> But I think time is an incredible pigment. What do you mean by that? Could you tell us more? Time is also like, I mean, when I think about data, data has a time function. For example, when I think about like any information in sensors, they come at a time data. Like time domain specifically in the data science is one of the most important reality. Without time, I don't think data has any meaning. Like literally no meaning. Like a heartbeat, a brain activity, you know, a skin conductivity, a wind data, temperature, or social media data. Like literally every data has a time domain. And I think it's not too different for machines or, you know, our new memories. But I would love to, like, again, think about that time as a pigment from that concept. Could you tell us more about your inspiration nowadays? I think my inspiration really comes from near future. And no offense to any creators, but I think I got my inspiration from the people who are changing the world, like a Nobel laureates, people who are finding the protein folding, trying to cure cancer, trying to cure uh, COVID, right? And then try to like create um, meaningful, purposeful and impactful research and science. And I think I found myself fascinated and more inspired from the people who are changing the world or who wants to change the world in a good way. And I think as humanity, we are on the shoulders of many giants, and I think, who are those giants that are holding the humanity? That's my chase. That's my, I guess, inspiration so far. Do you define some form of universality when you are creating? Absolutely, yes. I think, again, I don't believe in borders. I don't believe in, I, I love cultures. I believe in cultures, but I don't believe in like borders in life. And then I believe to be a you know, world citizen. And I think finding that language in life that is for anyone without any bias is just remarkably challenging. Maybe that's why light is the most important material in my work, by the way. Like, I think light is one of the most inspiring material that can, I think, do that universal, you know, connectivity. Uh, like, all of us need the sun, right? <laughs> Your work is also a bit political. It is, but it's trying to be political by not using the classical politics. I always hate separations. I always find myself finding what is a connecting tissue, what is like the memory that like holds everyone equally important, and not necessarily ignoring any problem, not necessarily ignoring any issues in the world, but I'm trying to find what is the common threads for humanity that can be, let's say, more connecting each other than separating each other, and how can we reconstruct that positive reality through the arts is one of my political or activist mission, which is why nature is my main theme in my many work, that um, nature is a fundamental uh, starting point that connects all of us. What would you say to a young artist asking you for advice? I think our heroes, our mentors, our teachers, who we are, 
what I'm learning every single moment. Like I'm proudly calling my mathematic teacher from high school and celebrating every single artwork I'm creating. I'm remembering um, our heroes. And again, in my field especially, the people who just, you know, shape my imagination. I think one of the most fundamental, I think, part is like being grateful is one thing. But remembering the heroes and the teachers and, and, and our mentors, I think, very important. Having a mentor in this technological field is very important. There are people I'm seeing sometimes doing, you know, similar things and with or without knowing. But how can you be pioneer of your own ideas? How can be fresh and how can be like so respectfully find your path without, you know, losing your ethics? I think these are very important for the young generations because sometimes when we all use, you know, algorithms and open source ideas doesn't mean that you have all the rights of, you know, doing everything you want. How to be ethically correct and how to imagine the future together. Creating a community is a very important aspect of digital arts. I heavily advise any young minds practicing be extremely ethically correct and try to find the light in their mentors and ground their reality by remembering the future. You've been listening to Be Maestro, the Bulgari original podcast. Join us in our next episode to unveil the secrets of those who make their mark on time. Ciao a tutti.